This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Everyone has a past. The decisions you make to get where you are create the dimensions that define where we want to go next. Jim Justice and Joe Manchin have a past as old as the mountains in West Virginia. Well, not that old. I think they were made during Pangea. But still, it's bitter, and it involves professional and personal betrayal. All so each of them could climb higher and higher on the ladder. But now that they're reaching the same rung, it's about time we tell you the acrimonious history of justice and mansion. But not all history is ancient. Every move you make on the campaign trail is important. They're studied, celebrated, and mocked. So how are the different members of the GOP primary handling the Donald Trump indictment? Do you go on defense or offense when the front runner of your race is facing federal charges? We go over all the varieties, from moderate to spicy. It's all coming up right now. For Dog and Pony Show Audio, I'm Justin Robert Young, and this is Politics, Politics, Politics. Jim Justice is from a family coal mining business that helped make him a billionaire. Joe Manchin married Gail Heather Connolly on August 5th, 1967. Together, they have three children, Heather, Joseph the Fourth, and Brooke. Between Joe and Gail, they are multimillionaires, and they live in a boat on the Potomac. Manchin won the 2004 West Virginia gubernatorial election by a large margin, and was re-elected by an even larger margin in 2008. See, here's the deal. In West Virginia, they are Democrats the way that Democrats used to be. Do yourself a favor and look up how Democrats used to be. Well, I'm not saying that Joe Manchin is for segregation or anything like that, but he did win a 2010 special election to fill the senatorial seat vacated by incumbent Democrat Robert Byrd. Go ahead and look up Robert Byrd's electoral history. So Joe Manchin is a Democrat that pretty much acts like a Republican would in most other states. But with his ascension from the governor's mansion to the Senate back in uh, 2010, he had a chance to run for a full term in 2012. And he wins there too. 61% of the vote. Now, a few things are happening here. Number one, Manchin is a name that West Virginians trust. Even though the state has gotten increasingly more and more red, they still like Joe. Manchin has largely been the only Democrat holding statewide or congressional office in West Virginia and represents what is, by a large margin, the most Republican-leaning constituency of any Democrat in Congress. 
In fact, in both of his elections for the Senate, he has outrun the Democratic presidential ticket by more than 40 percentage points. That's big. So let's go back. Joe Manchin has left the governor's mansion. And after a brief interlude, Jim Justice announces his candidacy for governor. This is in 2016. Now, prior to his run for governor, Jim Justice has been a Republican. But he switches to the Democratic Party to run for governor. And this is something, by all reported accounts, that is backed by Joe Manchin. See, Justice and Manchin, they kind of get along. But something happens after Justice wins. Not but a few months after, when Donald Trump is swept into the White House, Jim Justice realizes that, well, the grass is redder on the other side. Without telling his staff, Jim Justice goes to a Donald Trump rally and says the following thing. Like it or not like it, but the Democrats walked away from me. Now. Today, I will tell you with lots of prayers and lots of thinking. Today, I'll tell you as West Virginians, I can't help you anymore being a Democrat governor. So tomorrow, I will be changing my registration to Republican. A Democratic official tells Time magazine that Justice did not tell the West Virginia Democratic Party or the Democratic National Committee of his decision to switch parties. They all found it out like anybody else listening to the news. And by all accounts, that means he didn't tell Joe Manchin neither. Manchin has enough on his plate. He fights like hell to get elected in 2018, which he barely did despite being a favorable off-year election for Democrats. To do it, he brings out the big guns, legendary Alabama head coach Nick Saban, basketball icon Jerry West, and college basketball staple Bob Huggins make this 2018 ad. Joe and I grew up together in West Virginia, and he never forgets where he came from. He loves our state. He's dedicated his whole life to West Virginia. I swear that there's no one that loves the people of West Virginia more than Joe Manchin. I don't have a better friend or know a better person than Joe Manchin. My friend Joe works with Republicans and Democrats to get things done. And I'm proud to tell people that Joe Manchin is my U.S. Senator. I'm Joe Manchin, and I approve this message for all West Virginians. But it's right around this time that the feud really crystallizes between Manchin and Justice. See, if you take advantage of Manchin's machine to get elected governor and then you flip, 
you know, it still is a blood red state. That's a party foul, but it's not unforgivable. This is unforgivable. We read now from a USA Today article in 2018. West Virginia Governor Jim Justice fired former First Lady and current Secretary of Education and the Arts Gail Manchin on Monday after she called politics on a bill that would eliminate her department. Manchin released a statement Monday criticizing House Bill 4006 passed by the state Senate on Friday. Quote, Gail. In an obvious rush to score partisan points, the Republican state legislature passed dangerous and destructive legislation to eliminate the Office of Education and the Arts on a mostly party line vote. This is a cabinet post that reports directly to the governor and serves thousands across our state. It helps the disabled, provides summer programs for our children through federal funding, and many others that touch families all over West Virginia. Gale called on justice to veto, quote, this reckless and politically motivated legislation, which she said eliminated a statewide advocacy for the arts. She then offered to resign to, quote, remove any political pressure in a bid to save the programs. All right, I'm going to pause on the story right now just so we're all on the same page. There is a state house movement, a state uh, congressional movement to eliminate this position. It passes. It's now on the governor's desk. The governor can either let it go or veto. And so the wife of Joe Manchin, whose job would be lost because it's her department, comes out publicly and says not only should the governor veto it, but if it makes it easier, she'll resign if it means that the department gets saved. We pick up the story. That mention of politics apparently went over the line for the governor. Quote, Earlier today, Secretary Manchin asked the chief of staff, Mike Hall, about how she should approach this, Justice said in a press release. She was told by the chief of staff to do nothing based upon my public comments this morning and that my decision to veto or sign this bill had not been made. Later in the day, she decided to defy the chief of staff's instructions and issued a press release. In her press release, she offered to resign and remove any political cloud. If there weren't any earlier political cloud, now there surely is one. She was very critical, made it political, and put me in a very, very bad position. She was told that we accepted her resignation, she refused, and we terminated her. This isn't just a firing. This is a big fat mess that exploded into the public's view. And it humiliates the Manchin family. This was so ugly that many thought back in 2018, after Joe Manchin won his senatorial race, he would turn around and run for his old job in 2020 just because he was that cheesed off at Jim Justice. But that didn't happen. Manchin decides he's going to stay in the Senate. So he has. But still, Justice has his work cut out for him. He still had to win statewide election as a Republican. Justice took on two of Trump's top. 
top aides to help with his first GOP re-election effort in 2020. And it turns out he didn't need him much. Justice is re-elected over Democratic challenger Ben Salogno. Justice's re-election made him the first Republican to be elected governor of West Virginia since Cecil Underwood in 1996. Additionally, Justice became the first incumbent Republican to win re-election since Arch A. Moore Jr. in 1972, as well as the first Republican to carry all counties in West Virginia. Although, he does perform worse than Donald Trump, who outpaced Justice by 5.13 percentage points in his ultimately doomed effort in 2020. That brings us to now. Because Jim Justice has announced that he is leaving the governor's mansion to pursue a career in the Senate. That's a Republican who won every county statewide in 2020 running against a Democrat who is viewed as the only Democrat that could possibly win in West Virginia. This is ugly. But will Manchin take on this grudge match? A reminder that he hasn't said what he's going to do. In fact, he's put off any decision on whether or not he'll run for his seat again until December of this year. Will he take on somebody that betrayed him politically and then fired his wife publicly? Or will he decide to take another route and possibly advance his career one more step by being the highest profile third-party candidate since Ross Perot to run for the presidency. Either way, it's the kind of tangled Southern politics history that you know we love on this show. And no matter what happens from here, you know everything that's going on behind the scenes. This is your update brought to you as always by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. A reminder, you can support this program directly. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you get two bonus posts, two bonus episodes of this show each and every week for only $3. Let's go ahead and get into it. Top Democratic strategists and advisors to President Biden, including former U.S. senators, met with ex-Republicans opposed to Donald Trump to discuss ways to counter the potential third-party presidential bid by no labels. That's the one connected to Manchin. A group they fear could threaten Biden's re-election campaign and possibly result in Trump's re-election. The meeting, held at a D.C. think tank, featured around 40 attendees, including ex-White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Democratic National Committee Advisor Cedric Richmond, Stephanie Cutter, the former campaign advisor to Barack Obama, among others. The attendees, who also included representatives from the Lincoln Project and the Forward Party, expressed concerns about no label's potential impact on the upcoming election, arguing that its effort could inadvertently assist in a Trump 
win. No Labels, a nonprofit organization that refuses to disclose its donors, has been working to establish a new party that could field an independent bipartisan presidential ticket if the major parties nominate what they consider to be unacceptable candidates. While the group has not explicitly labeled Biden as unacceptable, many Democratic strategists fear that no labels may proceed with its plans if its nominees are Biden and Trump. The Arizona Democratic Party has already taken legal action to disqualify no labels from the ballot. Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows recently sent letters to over 6,000 no-label party enrollees in her state, notifying them of potential misunderstandings regarding their party registration. Amid these backlashes, participants at the June 6th meeting discussed ways to pressurize no-labels donors to raise more funds to oppose the group's effort and to enhance outreach to Congress members affiliated with the Problem Solvers Caucus, co-founded by no-labels. So... Uh, this is the Joe Manchin group. I'm obsessed with it. I'm officially obsessed with the no labels thing just because it is driving people insane. Third party freakouts are something that I find very, very fascinating, which is odd because I'm, you know, genetically dismissive of the chances of third parties, but I'm very much a believer that we want people to play the game as hard as possible. And I don't like the concept of gigantic, huge elephant in the room players in the game or donkeys in the room players in the game in this case, disqualifying upstart uh, candidates. I just don't like it. I think it's bad. It's bad form. It's bad karma. It's bad juju. But I do love them screaming and yelling about it. And so I will cover all of these. Miami Republican Mayor Francis Suarez filed federal paperwork Wednesday to join the crowded Republican field for president, becoming the third candidate from Florida running for the GOP nomination. Suarez becomes the first Hispanic candidate to jump into the 2024 race. Voters have elected Suarez, 45, twice in Miami, which is one of the most important areas politically in the nation's third largest state. But of course, he's running against two very well-known Floridians who are running one and two in this race, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Another looming problem for Suarez is whether he can raise enough money from enough supporters to qualify for the Republican debates scheduled to be held later this summer. Suarez could be hampered by his acknowledgement that he did not vote for Trump in either 2016 or 2020. Suarez is scheduled to speak at the Reagan Library in California on Thursday night. Yeah, homie's got no chance. But, I mean, hell, what else are you going to do? It, it seems as if uh, Kellyanne Conway is working with him, which is interesting that she is that far out of the Trump orbit. Senate Republicans have introduced a legislative package called the Lowering Education Costs and Debt Act to address the student debt crisis. The plan, unveiled as the Supreme Court is set to rule on President Biden's student debt relief program, consists of five bills aimed at addressing the root causes of the issue, such as the increasing price of college and students taking out loans they can't afford. The package is put forth by five Republican senators, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, John Cornyn of Texas, Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, and Tim Scott of South Carolina. The first two bills in the package focus on providing students with more comprehensive information before they commit to a university, 
The College Transparency Act aims to reform the college data reporting system, and the Understanding the True Cost of College Act requires schools to standardize their financial aid letters. The last three bills deal with the student loans, aiming to ensure better informed borrowers and to limit borrowing. This includes the, quote, Informed Student Borrower Act, which requires students to acknowledge they receive student loan entrance materials, and two bills that simplify loan repayment options and limit loans to undergraduate or graduate programs with low earning potential. I like that last part. That because the amount of money that people spend on degrees that are financially useless is criminal. The last bill aims to pressure graduate schools to lower costs and ends graduate plus loans, which have been criticized for increasing the cost of college. The plan is positioned as an alternative to President Biden's student loan. Uh, His schemes, quote, uh, says Senator Cassidy. This plan addresses the root causes of the student debt crisis. It puts downward pressure on tuition and empowers students to make the the educational decisions that put them on track to academically and financially succeed. I'm not against any of these. I think that this is a good idea if you could actually reverse the cost of college. And it looks like, you know, fundamentally, they would probably lower the cost of graduate school, which I think would probably be a good idea. But ultimately, come on, let's skip to the end on this. Somebody put forward that you're allowed to to declare bankruptcy on student debt. That will solve this problem tomorrow. And that wraps it up for your update. A reminder that you can go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and sign up. For only $3 a week, you get two bonus episodes, double your PX3 content. And now, back to the show. As we covered on our Wednesday edition, the front runner of the GOP primary, Donald Trump, has been indicted on federal charges. We went over in detail what one of his fellow applicants for the GOP nomination had to say, Vivek Ramaswamy, saying that this was an absolute miscarriage of justice and that the uh, DOJ and the Biden administration need to show how much communication that they've had and that every single one of the other Republican candidates need to sign a pledge saying that they would pardon President Trump. Well, we've seen some reaction now that we've been a few days out from this. And it kind of has reached a bit of a consensus. You know, there's kind of two parts of it. One that almost everybody can agree with. And another that is defining what may or may not be an emerging sentiment in the Republican voter base. So let's start with somebody who is defining themselves as never Trump. And that's Asia Hutchinson. Asia Hutchinson has said, not only should Donald Trump drop out, but I'm not going to vote for him if he's convicted as a felon. 
So that's skipping ahead a little bit on the last part of that. But it's more spicy than almost anything else that anybody has said. Let's go through it. Nikki Haley. She had this to say on Fox News. First of all, I had a great working relationship with President Trump. And you know what's happened is unfortunate. I think the Justice Department has handled this whole thing terribly. I mean, you can't have one standard for the Democrats like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and another standard for Republicans. Okay, that's something you're going to hear a lot. Let's skip ahead a little bit. Having said that, if the claims in the indictment are true, if they're true, then Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. And I'm not going to presume President Trump's guilt. I think we all need to let this trial play out. We need to see, you know, exactly what happens. But, you know, when you look at a pardon, the issue would be less about guilt and more about what's good for the country. And I think it would be terrible for the country to have a former president in prison for years because of a documents case. That's something you see in a third world country. I saw that at the United Nations. So I would be inclined in favor of a pardon. But I think it's really premature at this point when he's not even been convicted. Okay, so Nikki Haley, a famous hedge knight, continues to hedge, right? She's like, look, uh, uh, he's absolutely reckless. He shouldn't have done this. In another interview, she pointed out, you know, by the way, I'm a military spouse. And if this information would have hurt somebody in the military, then I feel that even more personally. But also, all that being said, I'd probably pardon him. <laughs> so let's go to somebody else who needs to define themselves by how they're different from Donald Trump. And that's his old vice president, Mike Pence. Here he is on Squawk Box on CNBC. It was dispiriting. Uh, but you're on record America. saying they're serious charges and, and, the, and, they're, very, and they're concerning. Well, the, look, they, look, no one's above the law, and we're all entitled to the presumption that's the problem, though, this of innocence. That, but, that's the argument from the other side, is that some people, that yeah. seems to be a two-tiered justice system. That's, that's, that's what the that, Trump that, supporters that is the are saying. Is, is there something to that? With, yeah, with, well, of course there is, Joe. I mean, to, to, I mean I, we live through it. I mean, we saw Hillary Clinton engage in this kind of behavior with regard to classified materials. And to be given a pass in 2016, we saw... Two and a half years of the Russia hoax that now, thanks to the Durham report, we know it was an investigation that should have never even been started. And we've seen a Justice Department that seems to have a two tiered system of justice. None of that changes the fact, though, that the handling of classified materials is a very serious matter, not only from my years as vice president, but also my my years on the International Relations right. Committee. And uh, and look, I, I had a chance to review the indictment over the weekend. Uh, and this indictment contains serious charges, and I cannot defend what is alleged. Let's go to another television soundbite. Tim Scott has, by and large, tried to keep his entire president, presidential campaign positive. And here he tries to keep this as positive as possible, but essentially just does the first part of what Nikki Haley said and the first part of what Mike Pence said, which is, hey, by the way, these, uh, you know, this, this Justice Department, two-tiered system of justice. The one thing that makes America the city on the hill is confidence in our justice system. And today, what we see is a justice system where the scales are weighted. 
That mm. seems to be the outcome of where we are today. As president of the United States, I would purge all of the injustices and impurities in our system so that every American can have confidence that they will be seen by the lady of justice with a blindfold on. That is what we need in this nation. All right, let's get a little spicier. Chris Christie, his entire campaign is on, I will tell the truth about Donald Trump early and often. I go to sleep yelling mean things about Donald Trump. I wake up yelling mean things about Donald Trump. And I certainly hope that I can tease you into a gigantic live battle with Donald Trump because I am raising money to make sure that I get to the debates. Here is what Chris Christie said on his Twitter account. He was quote tweeting a Fox News Sunday clip with Bill Barr, Trump's further uh, Trump's former uh, attorney general. Here's what Christie says. When your own handpicked attorney general calls your conduct reckless and totally wrong, you know you're in trouble. This is what happens when you keep top secret government documents in a spare bathroom at your country club. So no conversation about two tiers of justice. No conversation about I would pardon him. Chris Christie, again, is running for the Democratic nomination. But here's the big one, right? This is the one we all care about. This is the one that will be the most scrutinized. Ron DeSantis, the only other candidate routinely in double digits, still behind by around 20 points, 25 points in this race. DeSantis hasn't said much. I think he's waiting to see where the wind blows a little bit because he's in over his skis on this one. His normal punch with Trump is that he's to the right of him. But he can't be to the right of him on this issue because this issue being to the right of Trump would be I'm dropping out. So, here is Ron DeSantis. As he hit the campaign trail last weekend, DeSantis defended former President Trump after he was indicted. In a speech at the North Carolina Republican Convention on Friday, DeSantis referenced the decision by former FBI Director James Comey to recommend no charges be filed in the investigation into former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while she was the nation's top diplomat. But his comments came as Trump was charged with 37 felony counts. He then had this subliminal, and boy does DeSantis love his subliminals. As a naval officer, if I would have taken classified documents to my apartment, I would have been court-martialed in a New York minute. Is there a different standard for a Democratic Secretary of State versus a former Republican president? I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country, and let's enforce it on everyone and make sure we all know the rules. You can't have one faction of society weaponizing the power of the state against factions that it didn't like, and that's what you see. This is weak sauce. This is not what he needs. This is bad, in my opinion. Well, at least, I mean, it's, I, I don't think this is permanent. I do think that we're still, you know, there's plenty of time for him to define himself on this. But ultimately, the definition for, for DeSantis has to be 
how dumb can Trump be? You're telling me that he picked this fight and he wants to be president again? He knows that they're going to come after him. He knows that they're going to make stuff up like they did with Russia. So you're going to give them the gift, the gift of ringing you up on federal charges because you can't keep your bookkeeping in order because you have a point of pride about keeping these documents over others. Now, obviously, there is a lax culture from the executive branch when it comes to turning over records to the archive. And I don't think that somebody not named Donald Trump would have gotten the same kind of scrutiny, let alone the charges that he got, even if he were being this belligerent. But let's look forward. You're telling me that the guy who's going to dismantle the deep state, the guy who's going to outfox everybody in the Senate, the guy who is going to clean up our Department of Justice is the guy that not only didn't do any of those things when he had four years, but is still stepping on rakes like that sideshow Bob Giff. That's the guy. That's the guy who's going to do that. You sure about that? You sure about that's why? Ultimately, that's got to be because that that fits his narrative. His narrative is, hey, I'm not this stupid. Like, yes, he's being persecuted. Yes, this would probably be something much, much, much less if he weren't Donald Trump. But still. If you want to get done what he's saying he needs to get done, then you have to be near perfect. And this is far from near perfect. So we can all wish that everything was fair. We can all wish that everybody didn't hate Trump. But guess what? Either you're going to be effective or you're going to be ineffective. Trump was ineffective in 2016. He was ineffective in 2020. He was ineffective in 2022. And he's going to be ineffective in 2024. That's where DeSantis needs to get to, in my opinion. But ultimately, it's his decision. We'll see where he goes. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. You can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. Find the show at px3tweets. You can find me live on Twitch, px3live.com. And you can get my Substack, px3newsletter.com. Share this show with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. And if you'd like to hit me off with a one-time donation, it is paypal.me slash payjury. Justin-Young-20, px3cash on Cash App. And if you'd like to send me anything in the mail, it is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 787-1515. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss miss on our free podcasting schedule. 
And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Albasso, Matthew T., John, Bugs Life, Niemeister, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Unsafe DB Level, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arzlanian, Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name? Red on the show. Only one place that you should go. Take politics seriously. Dot com. Stay cool this weekend, my friends. Eating up. Summertime. And the living is easy. We'll be back at you next week. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this... This is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Three! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.